Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, January 28, 2021, and today we're reading from the big book. We're in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, page 33, the second paragraph, Young People May Be Encouraged, reading this one paragraph. And today's readers are, and thank you for your um, service in the month of January, for the 12 steps, Esther F., for the 12 traditions, Kelly D., and reading the text are Craig F. and Penny C., and Katie G. is our backup. The reference number, the reference numbers for Wednesday, January 27th, are for the 7 a.m., 16,279, that's 16279. And for the 10 a.m., it's 16,280. That's 16280. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence in the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, to continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted. Eleven, sought for prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service this month, and I pass. Thank you, Esther. Okay, I will now ask Kelly D. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everybody. My name is Kelly D. I'm from Anderson, Indiana, and I'm a compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, 
for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as, we, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, each OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these 12 or all of these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service and I pass. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. Excuse me, in order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book and we're on page 33, the second paragraph, young people may be encouraged and reading that one paragraph. And I will ask Craig F. to begin reading. Okay, thank you. Good morning. This is Craig F. Recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Compulsive overeater recovered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <clears throat> young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that they can stop, as he did, on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop, and hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, had been drinking only a few years when they found themselves as helpless as those who'd been drinking 20 years. Okay, <clears throat> a couple of things. One, I think when he says that um, few of them will find they can win out, uh, I, I think that he's meaning to say few of them will find that they can stay stopped, that, uh, that uh, they may be able to stop for short periods. I, I certainly could diet uh, still when I came to this program. 
I could probably diet better then than I can now. And that speaks, this whole paragraph speaks to several things. One, to the to the three Ps, the fact that this disease is progressive, um, it's permanent, and it's pathetal. Um, and uh, spell that with a PH. Um, so, uh, you know, that, that I have this disease that, uh, that says that, uh, that guides me to this point, brings me to this point where I, I can, I, I may be able to stop and I may not be able to stop on my own accord, but it brings me to a solution, a spiritual way of life. And, you know, this man of 30, he stopped, and, and of course, um, uh, we, we read the story, he stopped for a lot of years. And then and then he picked it back up again. And he was dead in four years, and you know uh, I dieted and, and 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 so I I stopped for a while and I picked it back up again. And thank God it hadn't killed me yet. But um, you know uh, I I uh, was uh, abstinent on group support in in this program for uh, uh, periods of time. A year or two uh, at, at times, and yet I picked it back up. and And the tagline in here is, "Perhaps I failed to enlarge my spiritual life." You know, uh, my sponsor is constantly asking me, "You know, what am I going to do to enlarge my spiritual life today? What, what, uh, you know, what am I going to do that I haven't been doing up till now? Because the disease is going to tackle me from behind." If I go too slow, if I don't, um, if I don't uh, progress, if I don't uh, grow, and uh, you know, so what? What am I gonna? What? What kept me sober yesterday? What kept me abstinent yesterday may not be enough today, and 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 so, uh, you know, I, a few of them found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking twenty years. Uh, I. Uh, uh, I, I've heard that the three great enemies of this of, of recovery are youth, brains, and success. And and the reason I think that the common thing in that is uh, that the great enemy of the program is ego. And my ego, if my ego says, "Well, I was abstinent. Uh, I, I'm I was able to be uh, abstinent this you know four years." Well. You know, uh, no, I, I wasn't able. You know, I was surrendered for four years. Uh, I, I have to keep. I have to also keep in mind Time, that please. it's that. Thank you. That it's that spiritual connection, that spiritual way of life, that acceptance and surrender, that starts in step one. That got me sober. That got me abstinent. That keeps me abstinent. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you for getting us started, Craig. So we're on page 33, the second paragraph, young people, and reading that one paragraph. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day in order that others might share their experience. So who would like to share on that paragraph? Janice PM. Janice PM. Sarah R. from New York. Amy G. Okay, so RMG. This is Larry K. Larry K. Okay, let me tell you who I have. I have Janice P. M. Adriana T. I think it was. 
Sarah, and I didn't get the initial, Amy G and Larry K. Anyone else? Donna D. Donna D. Joanne H. Joanne Claire H. E from the UK. Claire E. Okay, let's stop there. Okay. Okay, so I have Janice PM, Adriana T, Sarah, Amy G, Larry K, Donna D, Joanna, Joanne H, and Claire E. Go ahead, please, Janice. Well, good morning to you, Katie. This is Janice PM. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm from snowy Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, this is a great paragraph for young people. <laughs> and, of course, some obstinate um, old people. But this is talking about the young person. You know, when I was young, oh, especially a teenager, I knew everything. I really did. I said, you know what? I can diet. I had no idea about the allergy of the body. You know, there was a time, um, well, most teachers, teenagers think they know everything. And I was in high school and, oh, I could diet. And, you know, it wasn't that bad because I really haven't been dieting for a long time. And uh, I didn't really know that I did have the problem since I was eight, but that didn't matter. And people in my age were drinking. They were drinking, they were smoking. I was just, you know, eating food. You know, more, 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 sweet, sweet, sweet. And, you know, I was brought up in a bakery. I lived up, up upstairs from the bakery that we owned. This is how my thoughts were. Well, if I don't go down the back stairs and have to walk through the bakery to go to school, I'll be okay. So I started walking down the front. <laughs> that was okay. So I, I stalled for maybe, what, two or three hours or whatever it was. But when I came home, boy, did I walk through the bakery and not through. I would stop and eat whatever, you know, my stepdad had, had baked. So trying all those crazy methods, just think of that today. It's so crazy. When I know what I am, I know I have an allergy to these certain foods. And when I was 15, 16, 14, I didn't realize about any allergy. And I haven't been eating long, and it's not as bad as other things. So, you know, I really wasn't desperate. I really knew everything. You know, um, I, I, I wanted more, more, more. And eating was acceptable in those days. Alcohol was on a moral thing, issue. So, you know, I really didn't want to stop. I, mean, I wanted to stop because I was a cheerleader and I wanted to be thinner. But, you know, I didn't have any strength myself. I'd go a couple of days and I'd stop. I'm not that bad. You know, um, it, it was the thinking that I had when I was a teenager was nothing. I can control this thing. I know I can, you know, because my actions, I'm going to move to California. I'm going to lose weight. I'll be in another community. I'll be in a geographical cure. I'll only have protein and vegetable or whatever my, you know, so I doubt, we doubt if anyone as a kid could kick this habit, this illness, so young. You know, it's the addiction way before I knew it, and it had consequences. You know, I grew up with eating so much sugar that, you know, I had the headaches. I had the isolation. But I still went back to it. Um, Time, so, please. 
Yes, certainly. And I thank you so much for this um, having me share. And I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice PM. Okay, Adriana T, I believe it is, followed by Sarah, who I didn't write down your initial. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Katie. This is Adriana T, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Michigan. Um, so grateful to be here and grateful to be able to share on this paragraph. Um, I'm a woman of 33, and, I'm in, <laughs> and I managed to be in recovery today, so for that I'm grateful. So I started in this program in my early 20s, and, you know, I didn't get it. I didn't want to believe that I had this disease. I didn't really think of it as a disease. I was just, you know, I gained a little bit of weight. I like to eat sweets all the time. Maybe I should go to this program because my dad's an alcoholic. Um, you know, I just thought I was making too much of a, a big deal about stuff, like, oh, I'm not like them. Um, and I think that's kind of, you know, what the, the young person thinks, or at least me as a young person thought, is that, you know, I'm different from them. I can do this. Like, um, when you don't really know what the problem is, I think is the key. Um, because, you know, either you don't think you have the problem or you just don't really get what it is. And I think when the disease really progressed in me to the point of, you know, really seeking help, um, it still was difficult for for me to pick up what the real problem was. Like, I thought, like, I stayed away from the program for so long just because I thought, well, what is the program going to do for me if it's all about a food plan? Because that was the message I was getting was it's all about the food plan at my local OA. And so I could do that on my own without going to the meetings. And I think that people really do think that, um, that it's about the food plan and you just go to cry on each other's shoulders. And when I came to Vision for You and, you know, other big book studies that um, really are in the solution, I learned that, no, the problem is I have a disease. Um, it's not only physical, but it's mental, like this paragraph talks about, that peculiar mental twist. And, um, you know, I need a higher power. And, um, and not just hearing that I need a higher power, but I need to work through the steps with someone who has um, recovered um, because trying to do this alone never worked for me because in my mind I interpreted things how I thought they meant um, so yeah I'm really grateful to be here and I've, I've finally got it I hope and um, yeah just grateful to be here and I'll pass things thank you Adriana T okay Sarah you're up followed by Amy G Hi, everyone. Good morning. Um, this is Sarah R. from New York. Thank you, moderator and everybody on the line. So not only am I Sarah R. from New York, I am Sarah R. and one of these young people listed here because I know better than everybody. You know, getting into program, I just followed what they said. And then I realized that I knew much better. And only some of the program applies on this day and other of the programs apply on that day. And, you know, I don't 
I, I'm like them, but I am not. Even though basically every year, the more outlandish the the disease appeared, I I had all of that. You know, my earliest memory of me acting out of my disease was in kindergarten when a girl in my class wanted milk. And because I guess little five-year-old Sarah knew that if you want food, you need to get it. And I rushed to give her milk and I poured it all over her. That's my earliest, earliest memory of my disease acting out. But I know better, you know, so I'll put down the food. But guess what? Just putting down the food alone caused me a massive relapse followed by another one and another one, but, but like being in program is way too hard, right? I can't live a normal life, but then I'm not living a normal life. Looking at my phone, ordering Uber Eats during the day, I'm like staring at it for like two hours until it comes or just wanting to get some alcoholic foods and getting pissed that I can't find money to buy it like right away and like punching my car and like tattooing my jewelry into it. But you know, it's, it's, I want a normal life, but I have, I, I'm a compulsive overeater, undereater, and, you know, this drug of choice, food, and, but I, I, I know better, and, you know, just whatever people are seeing in programs doesn't necessarily apply to me, and, you know, just the only way that I, I, I could be a normal person is just following these directions outlined in the big book like quote-unquote normalcy for me is defined as restless irritable and discontent and um you know the the you know I could look at it as I'm like gosh I'm this young person who knows better than everyone else or I can look at it as how lucky I am as a young person to, to step into these rooms that I could have this, this gift of recovery or attempting recovery at a young age. So that, that makes me really happy. And, you know, I, I, I had this epiphany that, cause everyone would always say, well, how's your normal way going for you? And I was like, Oh, Oh, it's working fine. Right. Rigorous honesty. <laughs> no. And um, so I thank you all. One minute at a time, one day at a time, and with that, I pass. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you, Sarah R. Okay, and now we'll have Amy G. followed by Larry K. Good morning, Katie. Thank you so much for moderating. Thank you, everyone, for a great meeting. My name is Amy G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Maryland. I think the scariest part of this whole paragraph is because of the particular mental twist already acquired already acquired i mean i don't know about you all but i you know i've been blessed to be able to sponsor and you know the the biggest thing that we do in the beginning is you know go over their eating histories and what we find out over and over again is that particular mental twist the allergy the greater aspect of the disease physical allergy mental obsession that the physical allergy and the mental obsession were in place way before they came to over years and like we find that the mental obsession was in place you know when they're children I think uh Janice was saying eight years old for me it was you know I don't even remember when it was so young I mean to me that is so scary because the average age if we look at over years anonymous the average age, uh, age of the person who comes to their first overeaters anonymous meeting the average demographic is 45 to 55 so this disease is like a 
boiling a crab. It's like it's so cunning and baffling that we can be suffering for years and decades before we actually come to our first Overeaters Anonymous meeting, that my mental obsession was in place by my teens for sure. So, so to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, so I think it's so important for us to be able to continue to do what we're doing here in Vision for You and continue to carry a message of depth of weight that reaches not only, you know, someone in their 40s and 50s, but also to the newcomer who is young, that we can be getting a message out to the young person. And I feel very strongly about that. And, you know, if you're new on the line and you're, you're young as well, like I was when I came into my first OA meeting at 18, like others saying, I was very lucky and blessed, you know, and struggling with swapping out alcohol for compulsive overeater, you can Google 15 questions of OA. And there's a pamphlet, 15 questions of overeaters anonymous that asks, are you a compulsive overeater? Because until I make that decision, I can be like the guy that we just read about. I can put the slippers away for 30 years on willpower and be dead in four years once I start eating again because once a compulsive overeater, always a compulsive overeater. I was a compulsive overeater by the time I was in my teens. So I think it's so important that we're getting out there and we're giving a message of depth and weight that reaches all demographics because if not, this disease is so happy to refund your misery. They call it suicide on the layaway plan digging your grave day after day. I mean, there's so many different things in that way that we have to be able to reach out. So with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Amy. And now we'll have Larry Kay followed by Donna D. Oh, Katie, to be young again without an enlarged, <laughs> without an enlarged prostate and hair growing out of my ears. Um, yeah, those were the days, right? But, you know, let's just acknowledge that, uh, you know, there's likely to be some suffering here, you know, some tsunami-like uh, pain when I confront my addiction uh, head on. And, and I've known such suffering, uh, perhaps you have as well, regardless of what age you are. But here's the thing, um, when we welcome our suffering, it shakes us out of complacency. It, it, it brings, a, you know, like a sense of clarity and um, and meaning, and, and without that, you know, the pain is almost almost too much to bear. And um, and here's something else uh, that it does. It, it it you know, whether you're young or old, it it opens us up to vulnerability that gives us the capacity to make contact with and and and, and experience more of life. And God has gifted me with some truth recently that was buried deep inside, you know, and maybe a young person, boy, maybe you'll be gifted with some truth about yourself too. We get to tap into um, the courage to be with that. Otherwise, you know, that would be intolerable. And when I, you know, the good thing is, is when you bear witness to your own suffering, well, well guess what happens? I stop separating myself from it because I let you see it, right? And you get a ringside seat to, to watch how God removes it too. If you're a young person, you know, give other people that ringside seat to watch how these steps uh, and God remove those defects of character that will give you uh, the ability to overcome this. But it's going to take your cooperation, of course, right, not defiance. It's like, hey, this suffering may be moving through me in a unique way, you know, but it's not just mine. It's been going on since the dawn of time. And see, that perspective gives, gives rise to compassion and it gives rise to action. You know, when I take off my armor, 
my heart is more available to love, and God will see that that, that happens. There's something I'll wrap up by saying, it's not a bad dealio here, something that Carl Jung said has stuck with me all these years. He said something to the effect that, that a good half of every uh, treatment that probes at all deeply, you know, goes deeply, it consists of the doctor examining himself, and it's his own hurt that gives measure of his power to heal others. We have the power to heal others as bearing witness of God's power, God's love, God's way of life. That's a miraculous thing uh, in our vulnerability. So with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, Larry. Okay, Donna D, you're up, followed by Joanna. I think it's H. Joanna. Hi. Oops. Hi, my name is Donna D. I'm from New Hampshire, um, and I spell my first name D-A-W-N-A, if you're trying to find me in the directory for outreach. Um, I have been having a rough time of it lately, and this paragraph just jumps out to me, you know, young people. I'm not that young, but um, I have a lot of the same stubbornness that I've had my whole life since I was young. I remember being young and thinking I was so smart. God gave me this great brain and you know, accolades and awards I would get would prove I was right. I had this great brain. I was smarter than my parents, smarter than anyone, and I argued all the time about everything. And, um, you know, and I've been recovered now for, for eight months, and things were going along swimmingly, I thought. Um, you know, I had a lot of great recovery and and sense of peace inside of me and I thought I've got this thing Uh, but then I took my will back and I didn't go back into the food but I went back into all of the thinking part of this disease Um, you know and to the point where I just crashed since last Friday until it's starting to lift a little bit today until I humbled myself to realize how stubborn I've been same stubbornness I've had in my youth. Um, I wasn't letting it go because I was doing this program a la carte, you know, picking and choosing from a menu, not following directions and expecting results. Um, You know, and when I didn't get those results, when life got busy and and I went back to work, um, putting things off to the side, man, did I start throwing myself the world's biggest pity party. Um, you know, and, and I'm a very visual person. I, when I'm working my program strong, I, I picture my pity party as this path, and I walk down this path to this party room, and I can put my hand on the door, and I can choose to open or not open the door to the pity party. And if I do, I go in, and then I start inviting people into my pity party. Um, and when I work my program, I barely make it on the first couple steps of the path before I realize what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm supposed to turn this over to God and I laugh at myself and I have a sense of humor and it all goes away and I can move forward with my day and my life. Um, But recently I opened the door and got on the phone, not, not to work recovery, but to have people feel sorry for me again and, and hoped that somebody in the room of my pity party would come and save me. And that hurt. Oh man. I, I'm desperate now, and I got so much 
love from this fellowship, from the calls that I made yesterday to put me back on the path so that I can look at this mental twist that I have in my head and I can... Time, please, Donna. Okay. And thank you all for your fellowship. Thank you for being there. And with that, I pass. Thank you for being here. Okay, jo- Joanne, I'm sorry, I don't know if it's Joanne or Joanna, and followed by Claire E, and then we'll open it up for more shares on page 33, the second paragraph. Joanne, we can't hear you. Okay, how about Claire, are you available? Oh, hi there. Sorry about that. Hi, this is Joanne H. from Boston, the recovering compulsive eater. And, um, yeah, I could so identify with this about youth. Um, I first came into OA at the age of 18 in 1975, and I came in on the suggestion of a psychiatrist. And after a few sessions of listening to my story about my recent weight loss and weight gain and attempted suicide. He's like, I think you have a food issue. Uh, You should go to OA. And that's what brought me to OA at the age of 18, but I was young and I didn't get it. I didn't, it was hard for me to realize that I was using food to cope with life. Life was so unbearable. The present moment was so unbearable that I used, food was my primary. Secondary was alcohol and drugs. That is the, uh, those three things are the only way I knew how at the time to get through. And, and it's funny, I looked at the women in the room and I kept thinking, oh my God, these people are so old. You know, if I ever get past 150 pounds, you know, I'd never let that happen to me. And the average age in the room, they're probably in their 30s, but at 18, everyone looked older. And I just had that youth that attitude that, hey, I can exercise this off, I can will myself to rally up to do another successful diet, and I struggled in and out of a way for years and took a lot of pain, and I look back what I was fighting, you know, I just did not understand I had this obsession of the mind that I was doomed that there was no way I could ever do this on my own. I was totally powerless. And I wasn't working the steps. You know, I looked food. My only problem in life was food. If I lose weight, I'll be happy. But then came the day when I lost weight, in a way, and I wasn't happy. And that was really frightening. And thank God that's when the steps came in because I do have a soul sickness. And I wish I got this at 18, but I I didn't. Um, But I'm glad I was introduced because I found, you know, kept refining away. And now I am so grateful having, you know, working the steps, working with other people, that the answer is in the step. It's in a relationship, finding a strength and a power greater than myself that makes today bearable, you know, I suffer from depression, and on a day like this in Boston, just waking up, just wanted to uh, be happy, joyous, and free, and I had to talk to a sponsor. I need help in getting there. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Joanne. Okay, Claire E, you're up, and then we'll open it up for more people. Thanks, everyone. My name's Claire E. I'm a recovered compulsive eater in Cornwall in the UK. Thanks very much, Katie, for taking the meeting. Um, God, you know, I'm getting some real um, wistful sort of almost like grief sort of feeling so i i too relate to everybody that's shared i i i have uh memories of childhood um you know i learned very very early on that um my uh disease you know my, my eating gave me ease and comfort as a child um and certainly by a teenager by by 13 i was i've just i've just worked out in pounds because we work in stone in the uk but i was pushing 200 pounds by the age of 13 by the age of 15 i was 100 pounds and desperately anorexic and then by the age of about 16 or 17 i was i was into bulimia which sort of behaved my behavior of choice in the end um these sort of uh, just, just you know i had I, and i think when i was in my anorexic sort of phase i felt invincible i felt utterly invincible i thought i was doing it on my own willpower um and i didn't want to stop i i i was terrified of stopping because i knew that if i stopped i'd be putting on weight so i kind of knew even at that point but i think you know i just had no idea what i was up against i had no idea about the mental twist i had no idea that this thing was bigger than me i had no idea that it was out to kill me and um you know a, a sort of just a real sadness for that teenager i was just doing the best i could at that point and this paragraph reminds me of, as it says in the book, doesn't it? You know, when, when this book was written, it was written by people who had real low alcoholic bottom alcoholics. Um, and, you know, what they've done over the years in AA is, is bring the bottom towards, you know, bring the bottom up. So, and I think that was true for me because I was in a treatment centre by the age of 17. And, you know, thank God for me, that was a 12-step treatment centre. So I knew about OA very early on. And I, I can't say I got I got abstinent. Um, I, I stopped binging and vomiting for a bit. Um, but I, I was still, on retrospect, really very abnormal behaviour around food. But I thought I was doing quite well. But, you know, it, it was always in my mind. I'd heard the solution. I, you know, I knew where to come. Um, and, you know, someone said to me, I remember very early on, someone said, we might not get you well, but we're going to mess up your eating. And, and that was very true. It's a lot more painful then to have a belly full of food and a head full of OA. And, you know, today I'm really grateful for that because it kept me coming back and it kept me knowing where the solution was. Um, and I think, you know, I had to get to the point in the end where it was just more painful to binge than it was not to. Um, you know, I, I, I really this this line where none will really want to stop. I didn't want to stop. It was providing me ease and comfort until it didn't. And once it didn't, you know, that was when I was willing then to start taking some actions and and um, and taking direction from from people who uh, had what I wanted. And I will leave it there. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Claire. Okay, so if you've just joined us, we are on page. 33, the second paragraph, young people may be encouraged. And although we value your experience, we ask that you limit your shares to every third day so that others may share their experience. Who would like to share? Linda D. Crystal P. Crystal P. Okay, let me tell you who I got. I have Linda D. Crystal. P, I think, um, Karen K, Leah M, who else? CCA. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. CCA. Cynthia A? No, Stacy. CCA. Oh, Stacy A. Okay, thank I'm you. I'm a newcomer. I'm a newcomer. I was in yesterday's uh, meeting. Okay. Judith R. Uh, Judith R. 
Okay, let's stop there. Linda D, Crystal P, Karen K, Leah M, Stacy A, and Judith R. Go ahead, please, Linda. Hi, everybody. It's Linda D in Connecticut, and I'm gifted to have this pr the privilege of being here and being recovered. You know, um, every day we uh, hear the line, um, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. and uh, Join us on the trudging the road of happy destiny. And um, it's very familiar, and it's, I don't want to trudge. When I came here, I'm not a trudger. I'm a, and I'm not abandoning, that means trust. And what do they, this is when I came here, and what do they mean by God? Ugh, no. But I was raised to be polite, and you don't say that. So I gave it lip service. But I had the big book, and all of OA at that time was pretty good so a while back. And what do you know? Eventually, I opened my mind, and something fell in. And it was all the love from people in these rooms and the best information they had, which is, if you have an opinion, Linda, shut up. You don't know anything. They were very nice about it. but. Do what we suggest you do. And I did. And I do. I'm so grateful for the love of all these people. And and finding a higher power. Who knew there was one? Or cared? I'm a, you know, who cares? Maybe you did when you were young. I didn't care. I just wanted to be happy. And to be pretty. And to be normal. And all that good stuff. Well, I'm not 25. And I'm five foot four, and I weigh 127 pounds. And frankly, I look great. I do. I just look in the mirror and go, "Who the hell is that?" Quite a shock. All of that came as tr from trudging the road of happy destiny. Trudge, trudge, whether I want to or not. You know, some days I, you know, wow. But it's so good here. This is the the road, and there is a happy destiny. And there is a joy of living. Right now, in the middle of, you know what the world's like, holy crap. And it, it's okay. I can get through. I've got all of you. Most importantly, I have a higher power. And that higher power is God. Who knew that? I was an atheist. If I can get it, anybody can get it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Linda. Okay, Crystal P, you're up, followed by Karen Kay. Hi, good morning. This is Crystal P, compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Um, I was one of the young people that came into program. I was 32 when I came in, and I always remember that everything that has happened to me after 32 is not my story, because if it was my story, it would be a story of a girl who died at the age of 32, because there is no reason that I should be alive today except for the grace of God. Everything that happened after 32 is the story of what God has done for me. Um, and for me, I really realized I, I could be too smart for program. It's taken me a long time to realize that my intellect is not only useless to me, most of the time it's counterproductive. Like when I first came into program and my sponsor would tell me to do something, you know, I'd figure out, okay, she's asking me to do this, but she probably want to, wants me to get this kind of outcome, and I can get the same outcome by doing it this way, which is probably a nicer way for me to do it. 
And I, I would just sort of think circles around all the things I was told to do. And when I realized, truly realized how powerless I was, I stopped doing that. My motto, my own slogan became, just get it done. The only question I had to ask was, were the instructions clear? If the instructions were clear, just get it done. Nobody asked me if I liked it. Nobody asked me if I thought there was a better way or if it made no sense to me, just get it done. Even recently, you know, um, my sponsor suggested I was working through a particular issue and she suggested, you know, speak to a fellow about it. And I was so sure. I knew exactly what that fellow was going to say. So why bother? I know what they're going to tell me to do. I might as well just do it. And I remember, you know, my little slogan, just, just get it done, just get it over with, call the fellow. I was given instructions. And so I did. And the fellow's response was completely different from what I expected. And every time in program, I'm shown again and again by God that every time I'm so sure I know how things will go, I am just wrong. Because this program is not about using my brains. It's not about making sense of things and understanding it. Because the truth is, I can think myself to death. This program is about taking action that sometimes makes no sense to me because the ways of the heart are not linear. They don't, they don't follow any formula. But that particular action, even though I don't understand it, somehow it opens up my heart to God. And things that I don't understand can happen, and, and those are the things that save me. So I'm so grateful today that I can put down my intellect and just follow the instructions that change my heart. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you so much, Crystal P. Okay, Karen K., you're up, followed by Leah M. Good morning, everybody. It's Karen K., a recovered compulsive eater, certainly not cured from Syracuse, New York, snowy Syracuse, New York, and my credits don't transfer. What a beautiful day it is out today. You know, we're all talking about ages here. You know, we all got a war story. The war's over. That was brought to me very early on in recovery. The war's over. And um, I was 23 when uh, recovery came to me in, in the very, very beginning. And I didn't know anything. I even had people encourage me that were older than me, Karen, you're just too young and too good looking to get sober. You're just too young to get in, into OA. So I showed them. I stayed. Not so much in OA, but I stayed. And eventually... I had to suffer enough and to be willing enough to accept these simple toolkits that are at my feet. You know, they're steps, traditions, concepts, warranties in Overeaters Anonymous that help me to become whole. It's not a comparison contest for me because if I thought that way, I never would have came back. And, and that was God brought me back because my life was miserable. This is... The fifth addiction to go, I finally talked to somebody this morning on the phone, and I said, this is the fifth one to go. So if God can do that, who am I to say that God cannot remove this, and he has? And, um, you know, it's not about doing the steps quickly for me anymore. It's about doing them thoroughly and honestly. Um, this book has a lot to teach, and every time I read it and highlight it and I share it with another, I get a new one. And I'm so grateful for Overeaters Anonymous and especially a vision for you and all the sponsors that I have with that I'll pass. Thank you, Karen. Okay, Leah M, you're up, followed by Stacey A. Good morning. It's Leah M. Thank you for your service. Um, 
because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. Um, you know, I, I, I look back at my illness, um, you know, with such fascination and appreciation, respect and awe, actually, you know, at, its, at how young I was and how it was so deep in the marrow of my bones, you know, and in the tentacles of my tissue. Um, you know, I think back of being read bedtime stories at age two and three, and, you know, it wasn't the three bears and, the, and Goldilocks I was focused on. It was the ease and comfort about porridge, that's kind of odd. Or, or being red chicken little. And, you know, I wasn't worried about the sky falling. I was, I was thinking about how darn good fried chicken tastes. Um, you know, so already my mind was seeking ease and comfort at such a young age. And at the same time, the allergy of the body was so compelling. So compelling that that tasty St. Joseph baby aspirin, yep, ate a whole bottle at the age of three. You know, and it went downhill from there. Let me just say that. This disease grabbed me by the roots of the hair at such a young age, and against all odds, I was supposed to self-destruct. Because the compulsion and the drive for compulsive overeating was so great and so voracious. And yet as the pain began to wrap its talons around my neck, I kept running for physical solution. You know, diets, gyms, uh, Removal of substances which I which I was aware it became clear were were dangerous for me. I didn't realize I couldn't solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. I was well in the grip of compulsive overeating before its grip was truly revealed to me. The chains of addiction were too soft to be felt until they were too hard to be broken. I didn't understand the nature of this illness. I didn't understand the depths to which it would drag me until I was bloodied and mangled and just threw my hands up and say, I don't know who you are, God. I don't know what a God is, but I am ready. Because the mental torture and the emotional turmoil, the isolation, deep depression, and suicide, I think, was just too much for me. Too much for me. But, you know, this is 30, <laughs> it's now, uh, you know, 34 years of recovery just wrapping up, this is not a story about me. It's a story of God's grace and what can happen when we throw ourselves uh, at these steps and a relationship with power. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. And we have four minutes left, so if Stacy and Judith could split that with two minutes each, I'd appreciate it. Go ahead, please, Stacy. Okay. Um, I'm a newcomer, so this is my second time in here. Um, I, oh God, um, just, I just listened to everyone's story, and I've been dealing with this disease, I don't know, for 12 years. I was, started working this out, and in my own head, like everybody else, like, I thought I can do my own dance, and come in and out, but not really work the program. And I was in normal OA, and I left a few years ago. 
and I was in normal OA, and then just recently someone said, check out a vision for you, and I came in yesterday, and I got an outpour of love and forever grateful, and then this morning I was not going to come in. I was just like, oh, I'll go to a meeting later, and I decided to, like, get up early and come in and just listening to everyone's story this morning and just saying, like, work the big book, just it works it, and I'm just, like, so ready. It's just, like, I don't, it's just, like, unbelievable. And I just, like, want, like, a sponsor because, like, I'm still there. I just need that extra push. Like, I'm a bulimic with, like, laxatives. I, like, take it someday. Don't. I just, I'm sorry. I just, I'm, like, going to make some phone calls back today just so that I can connect with someone. And I was just really touched by everyone. Like, I just can't do this alone. And, like, it's, like, the terrible disease and it's, like, an alcoholic. There's some food you just have to put down because, like, the big book says, and I finally got it today. Like, just listening to everybody, I got it. Like, there's just foods you cannot touch anymore. And I just, I got it. Thank you, Stacy. That's time. Okay, Judith okay. R., it's your turn. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, Judith. You. you have two minutes. Thank you. Thank you. Judith are gratefully recovered in Vermont. Thank you, God. And I think I'm going to use this time just to pray that OA finally find our way to help young people. Um, I think in the be- when I found OA, little did I realize that OA was only 18 years old. <laughs> I found it in 78, and we had only started in 1960. So I've seen all the growing pains that we've been through in all these years. And there was a point in which I thought maybe OA was going to die because it was so weak. And we seem to be hemorrhaging people. Um, So back in those days, I would also go to AA meetings because they were stronger. And I became aware that, that AA had an international conference of young people in AA that they call Ikipa for short. And at that time I was in Cincinnati and they had Cincipa, Cincinnati young people in AA. And I'm like, Lord, can, God, please, can we find um, uh, Ikipo, International Conference of Young People in OA? Um, I've debated with myself all the years, like why can't we get the young people to stay? Well, they don't want to give up sugar. Um, I I have not come up with the answer as to why we can't, but I know that God has the answer. And now that we're in the middle of this renaissance um, where OA is not only dying but thriving and, and reproducing itself every day in new and more people, I'm so thrilled. Um, God, please <laughs> let us create Icky Poe so that we too can can bring young people in. And I know it can only happen if 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 you got her at the at the helm. So um and I also want to mention that there is such a thing as O and on, which a lot of us don't know. Time so please. 
Okay. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judith. And thank you to everyone who shared. Um, We will please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. In the share ID for today, January 28th, 2021, 7 a.m. meeting is 16,289. That's 16289. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny C. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Star one, Penny. Oh, good. I I got unmuted. Thank you. you. This is Penny C. I'm a recovered compulsive overreader in the Boston area. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.